Go to Exodus uh, 32. Let's just do a little recap as we've been talking about the resurrected life, the resurrected life. How many know that God has brought us out of the tomb? Amen. And when Jesus came out of the tomb, he was not as if he was when he went in. He was glorified. And as he came forth, his intent and purpose is for you and I to live a victorious life. Now, as we look, and we've been looking in the book of Joshua and seeing the imagery of Christ in the book of Joshua and in the Old Covenant, what we see there and what we saw last week is Joshua, as an English name, came forth in the Protestant uh, Reformation, but that word, that Joshua, is also the Hebrew name for Yahshua, and Jesus is the English name there, if you will, for for uh, the Greek name for uh, Yahshua. And so we saw Joshua as a type, a type of Christ. And then we've seen, uh, we've also seen, and I want to touch on again a little bit more before we get into our text today. We looked at uh, the, the piece of furnishing, the most holy furnishing in all the word uh, in the old covenant, and that was the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of Testimony, also known as the Ark of Presence. That being a type of Christ, we see how that they put the golden pot of manna inside of that golden chest. Now, we see also how that Jesus declared in John's gospel, he said, I am the bread of life. So we see that the Lord is there present and he's showing us something. We see how that Aaron's rod that budded and we understand that that was a guardian, uh, a, a symbol, if you will, to guard the priesthood. And we know that there's only one ultimate priest and that's Jesus. But it's amazing as we look at the Ark of the Covenant and as you look and study the Word of God, understand that every covenant was leading to the covenant. The covenant between man and Christ, the covenant of redemption that the Bible began to spell out from Noah to Moses to the Davidic covenant. Those covenants were pointing to the covenant and the altar for you and I. And so we have this ark of testimony. Now, as we saw in Joshua 3... Whenever Israel was going to cross over into the land of promise, they had to go through the Jordan, the Jordan River. It was the separation between the wilderness and the land of promise. The Jordan, as we find, is the lowest river in all of the world. It's full of crooks and turns, and we see that the Bible tells us in Joshua that it overflows all the time of harvest, and, but what we do find out is in order to cross from the wilderness into the place of promise, you've got to go through that low passage. It's not our might that gets us in there. It's the power of the Lord God that allows us to live in the promises of God. But what we see is that the priest bearing the ark of the covenant, four priests on either end of the handles of the ark of the covenant, this golden chest, made of acacia wood overlaid with gold whose rods or poles would be put into this chest so that the priest would be those who transported this Ark of the Covenant representing the presence of God which is a type of Christ. In fact, Exodus tells us at the very Exodus 25 when Aaron was instructed or the children of Israel were instructed to create the Ark of the Covenant 
Jesus says, or the word of the Lord says, that there upon that lid, that mercy seat, said, that's where I'll meet with you. How many know today that Jesus is the one, he's the blood, he's the, where he, the reason that we have Christ in our heart, in the inmost part of our being, that is the only way that we can connect with God the Father. But as we see here, they were carrying the ark, and as their feet, Joshua 3 tells us, as their feet entered the river, the river Jordan, all of a sudden the waters opened, began to back up out of the way. And they stayed there until all of Israel crossed over, the Bible says, on dry ground. And they crossed over into the, into the land of promise. Now we draw the spiritual significance in Jesus being the, uh, our ark, our place of covenant. The one who brings the covenant of the Father to us. We find out in three of the Gospels, Mark 1, 9, Luke 3, 21, and Matthew 3, 13. In fact, in Mark 1, 9, it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Coming up out of the water, immediately the heavens opened and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So what we see is that for you and I, Jesus is the one that opens the spiritual Jordan. Amen? So that we can step into the place of promise. Can you see it? We, we step over in, in those low places when we humble ourselves, when Christ humbled himself upon the cross what we find out is we can cross over into the place of promise because of what Jesus Christ has done. Amen? But inside that golden chest, inside that golden chest, not only the golden pot of manna, which represents Jesus, the bread of life, not only Aaron's rod that budded that represents the priesthood of Jesus Christ, but there was also the tablets. And those tablets were written by the finger of God upon the mountain when Moses was called up. And what I want to draw particular attention to is the second commandment. The first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. Amen? In other words, Jesus, or God the Father, Jehovah God, will not, cannot, shall not take second place. When he said, have no other gods before me. And this is what I want to draw attention to. You shall not make any idols. No idols shall be made. No graven images. In fact, Moses in Deuteronomy 4, he tells the children of Israel before they go into the place of promise, beware. Do not go in and start creating or start molding and making and shaping images don't go in and start shaping birds and animals and creatures. Don't even look up to the stars of heaven and the sun and start making images to worship. Do not create idols. And here is the pitfall of making idols. I want you to look there in Exodus 32. I know we took a little bit to get there, a little bit of teaching, but I believe it's going to make great sense as we continue forward. It says, now with the people, and this is Exodus 32, the people... When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together 
Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods, little g, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to him, Break off the golden earrings which you which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fastened it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, There is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they arose early on the next day, offered burnt offering, brought peace offering, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose to play. The Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for the people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Now, as we look here, Andrew has been teaching on waiting. This kind of dovetails into that as well. There, there was, a, there was a period of waiting. Now Moses had ascended up to the mountain, and when he ascended up to the mountain and received the instruction, the will of God, the commandments of the Lord, there was a, there was a time frame such that Israel got tired of waiting. They got tired of, of, of delaying or, or the delay of Moses' return. In fact, it had gone so long, they said, well, you know, we're here at a place. Let's just go ahead and make us, a, Aaron, you as the priest, go ahead and make us a golden, make us an image, and we're going to worship that, and we're going to trust in that, and we're going to believe that's what brought us out of bondage. Is that not somewhat similar of our world today? As there's a, there's a cry to the priesthood, go ahead and make us something that we can look at, see, we can position in our lives, and we'll say that delivered us out of bondage. Let me tell you, there's only one deliverance out of bondage, and that's the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Only through the blood of the shed blood of the Lamb allows you and I freedom from the bondage that we found in this world of Egypt. But here, there's a danger when we're unwilling to wait on God. In fact, there's a danger, and that is this, that instantaneous satisfaction and gratification that we can hold on to what we would call, we would perceive as God, the form or the image of, of idol worship there. Let me just elaborate on that a little bit. Kind of got twisted all around. But what we see there is there's a danger when you step over into the place of promise to fasten God into some sort of idol. Now Israel that day, they would say and declare that they were worshiping God, but that, that molden calf, that idol that they made was not necessarily God. But they were following the practices of the pagans there that they had been influenced by for so many years. And they would have golden images there and their God would sit on that golden image. Now the golden image was not, the molten calf was not God, but that's where God would sit. Let me ask you this. 
Does the almighty God, the omnipresent God, can you put him in one spot and tell him to stay? Just sit there and stay in that position. Don't move from this point here and when I need you, I'll come get you. That's not worship, is it? But the Lord said there's a danger when you step over into the place of promise. If you don't drive the enemies out, you're going to be subject to worshiping their gods and their idols. You're going to be subject to molding and making and shaping God into an image from your own imagination that you can worship and declare as your deliverer. I know that you wouldn't admit to this, but when I was a child growing up, I thought, you know, I'm going to come out of this impoverished situation. And I didn't know it at the time, but I wanted to go and make a bunch of money. I wanted to go and make a bunch of money. And so I wanted to, I wanted to, it's not that I didn't, didn't know God. I didn't know him all that well because I wasn't worshiping him. But I thought, you know, the only way out of my impoverished situation is I've got to go find me a, an education and get a job and make some money. And then, you know, then I'll get everything situated and sorted. And, you know, God will be some little small facet of my life. And when I need him, I'll, I'll reach for him. And, and I'll, I'll let my education and, and all of those things, that will be my deliverance from my situation. That would become, if you will, an idol in my own heart. Seeking after that almighty dollar so that I could be delivered out of all that suffering and shame of my past and my childhood. I'll just outlive it, only to discover I was destroying myself in the process because my nature hadn't changed. But I would encourage you today as we look at this, as we, we begin to see something here, that we are not settling for second best. That we're not going to force the hand of God. We're going to wait on God. And we're not going to fall into the traps of the enemy in these last days. Because God is leading us to a place of promise. What does that place of promise look like? It's a place where we conquer the enemy. It's a place where we overcome and we begin to see people walk out of darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a place where you're going to have to show up early to get a seat. It's a place where the glory of God begins to pull people from the far reaches of the earth and brings them into the house of God. It's a place where people walk in and the glory of God meets them, transforms them. The chains are broken off of them. But we cannot begin to shape begin to fall into the traps of the enemy we've got to keep the main thing the main thing which is the worship of God now as we look at this what we see is that there's a danger making graven images that the Lord told Israel you're going to fall into if you don't watch out when you go over there you can fall into these dangers and the danger is this when it comes to making idols see to make an idol we're saying God we're going to define who you are. When we begin to make idols, what we're doing is we're shaping God, and this is the downfall to making idols. When we make God, what we're doing is we're saying, Lord, I'm going to create you according to the image I have in my mind. I will define you. I'll define you. Because every idol that was ever made, 
came and originated from man's imagination that was inspired not by heaven but by hell. So when I find myself in a place where I'm making and molding and shaping God, what am I doing? I'm trying to put God in a, in a place that's comfortable for me. But let me tell you, God doesn't allow us. He said, I don't want you to make any graven images and declare that that's me and start worshiping that. He said, in fact, you didn't even see any image when I spoke to you out of the fire. The reason being is I don't want you to shake me out of your imagination. And what the Lord's saying is I don't need you to define me. I will define myself. So folks, I want to encourage you. If you have an idea of who you think God is, don't take it from your neighbor. Don't take it from the media. Don't take it from someone who says, whose uncle twice removed told you one day who they thought God was. No, get into the word. The Lord doesn't want golden engraved images that, that the world conjures from their own imagination. He wants you to know him and he has defined himself as God. As we look to the word of the Lord, what we find out is that the danger of defining God is we want to make God into our image. That's not the plan of God, and that's where we do not need to settle. We don't need to settle into making God into our image. Oh, now, you don't have a, I'm sure that you don't have a smolting pot in your house. I'm sure you don't have a crucible where, where you take your gold and you put it in and you melt it and you shape it and you mold it and make it. I understand those things. But folks, it's not just a, a idol, it's not just making something physical out of our own imagination, but it's defining God contrary to his truth because it fits us. Oh, don't shout me down this morning. I'm sorry. I'm just giving it like I got it. But see, we can settle with half-truths. We can settle by some worldly definition or taking the Word of God and trying to shove our truth into it instead of letting the truth come out of it. Amen? Taking our truth and saying, okay, this is what the Bible is saying. Leaving out many important parts. Instead of saying, God, I don't want to be, Lord, you be made into my image because you have created us to be made into your image. And his image is so much better than our image. Amen? His truth is so much better than our truth. Now, when I came into the kingdom of God, I did so by coming out of the world. And I was a person living in corruption, self-destruction, addicted to so many different things, filled with so much hurt, so much pain, and tried to cover it and self-medicate. I was in bondage, only to discover that I did not need to bring God and try to shape him, make him, and define him into someone who he was not. But what I found out 
is when the King of kings and the Lord of lords took up the occupancy of throne of my heart. Now I have discovered and have been discovering for so many years, God is not made in my image. I am made in His image. And the God that we serve, John the Revelator, saw Him in the book of Revelation. And He said His eyes were filled as a flame of fire. His countenance was that of the ray of the sun. He was glorious. His feet as if they had burned in a furnace. John said, I fell at His feet as dead. It's not that we're looking for the worship of man, but folks, let me tell you, Jesus Christ is a conqueror. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He never intended for you and I to remain in bondage. He brought us out by the blood of the Lamb to not just bring us out, but to keep us out of that bondage so that we may walk in the likeness of the image of God. So why do I want to create God into my image when I've been made to be created in His image? Wow. Now I'm sure that you don't have little Buddha set up in your house or little idols set up in a place, but so many times we can get an idle thought life. Well, God's just good with this portion of my life. Me and the big man upstairs have an understanding. Oh, please don't say that in my presence. That's irksome. I'm sorry. It just is. I told you, so we, we, have that, we have that understanding now. <laughs> it's just irksome to me. Me and the big guy upstairs. You're talking about the awesome, omnipotent, unstoppable, immutable, unchangeable, infallible God who when you step into his presence, you'll fall upon your face and you will praise the living God because he is worthy. He is the kabod, the glory, the mighty majesty, the king whose train fills the temple of the Lord. He is an awesome God and he deserves every measure of praise because of the brutal death that he died so that you and I could be set free from the bondage of the enemy so that we could escape eternal damnation. He deserves all of our worship, all of our praise, all of the glory belongs to him. No other. He's not a big guy. He's a big God. But I don't want to settle to you. I don't want to settle with the thinking that leaves me in the cage. I don't want to settle for a sacrifice that brings no deliverance. I don't want to settle with trying to bring God into my image, infusing his book, his perfect word with my truth. My truth. No, it's his truth. Mine's just speculation and opinion. It's his truth that we need to concern ourselves with. See, idolatry is this. It's shaping God. It's us defining the Lord And it is us trying to create God in his image. It's the finite fallen nature of man is not able to rightfully define God. See, my fallen nature, I can't define the Lord. I can't tell God who he is if I'm trying to tell him he's something other than what he says he is. See, it takes the infinite, mighty, powerful God To show us who he is. 
The truth that I'm telling you today is the truth that the Spirit must reveal not only to me, but to you. You notice that Moses didn't get the revelation there with the people. He was called, separated, set apart. He went up the side of the mountain, and upon that mountain, he and God conversed, and the Spirit began to reveal to him the will of the Father. God wrote that down with his own finger upon the tablets and handed it to Moses. And said, now I want you to take these tablets and I want you to put them in the Ark of the Covenant. Place the will of God, the laws of God, into the Ark of the Covenant. We find out, church, that Moses did not enter into the place of promise. But Joshua led the children of Israel in. But he not only led the children of Israel in, but he took the law and he put it inside of the Ark. Who is the ark? Jesus is the ark. Where is the law fulfilled? It's not in the Moses the man or Moses the law. The law is fulfilled in Christ. And so we don't leave the law out in the wilderness. We carry the law into the place of promise. And we do so with Jesus Christ living in our heart who's fulfilled all righteousness. So people that come and say, we don't live in the old covenant. Let me tell you, the old covenant's become the new covenant because the new covenant is not on the outside. The new covenant's on the inside. Because the laws are written in your heart because Jesus lives there as you are a born-again, blood-bought redeemer. Amen? And there's a reason I don't return to the pig pen because the Lord has changed my nature from a pig to a sheep. And a sheep needs a shepherd. See, I don't want to find myself in a place where I'm defining God. And so often we define God by saying, Lord, healing is for others, but not for me. Lord, deliverance is for others, but not for me. Joy is for others, but for not for me. Lord God, I'm made to be separated from the body of Christ where others join in. I'm made to make it on my own where others are made to have people around them. Are we not defining God according to our own imagination and molding and shaping him into an image that is contrary to what the word of the Lord tells us or the spirit has revealed to us? To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Young people, you're in my constant prayer. Every day, I pray for our kids. Every day I pray for my kids, your kids. Young people, you need a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. You need a personal understanding of who God is. Not who I say he is, not who those around you say he is, but you need to know what he, who he says he is. We need a revelation of God. Church, we need... Seek after, ascend the height of the mountain like Moses. We need to be the ones that say, God, reveal yourself. Because I could preach till I'm blue in the face. I could have all measure of, of, of educational credentials behind me. And I could lay out a, a, a message that would just uh, would, would be spellbounding. Tantalize and tickle the intellect. 
cause people to stand and gasp in awe. But this is the truth that I wake up with every day, every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time that I take the office of a minister of the gospel. God, if you don't reveal yourself, they can not know who you are. We need the Spirit. Parents, you need to pray that God reveals himself to your children. That the revelation may come to them that they may have an understanding. Because you don't know when seventh graders are going to be walking on a Thursday night in this community and step into eternity. I don't know the young man who died this week. But I do know that God loved him and gave himself for him. I want to encourage you, folks. Let's not mold and make shape God into an image that is pleasing to us. The Bible says you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You know how we're going to find freedom in a resurrected life? We're going to find truth. Not as we've defined it, but as God's defined it. Amen? Not as we declare uh, according to our own intellect in the agreement that we have with the big guy in the sky. No, we're going to believe and know today according to what he tells us in his written word that he's put within our heart. Amen? If you think God is good with your sin, you're wrong. Amen? He's not good with it. He's not good with it at all. Just like he wasn't good with my sin. See, I had, this under, I had this thought that I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's okay. You do your thing, I'll do my thing, and we'll all get along. Only to find out my thing wasn't the right thing. God wasn't okay with my addictive behavior. God wasn't okay with my fallen nature. God wasn't okay with the lives that I was destroying because of this nature that I had. What God was okay with was his blood applied to the doorpost of my heart in the shed blood on my life that I could change and be who he's called me to be by his power and his might, not by my own strength. Here's the danger that you'll fall into when you step into the place of promise. We will make him into our image. We need to be made into his image. The finite fallen nature of man is not able to rightly define God. Only the Holy Infinite Spirit can depict the righteousness, righteous character of God. Idol making is the attempt, man's attempt to control God. God will not be controlled by man. Man will be controlled by God. Amen? Well, I'm going to make you, Lord, into this image and Aaron came along and he said, okay, y'all break off those earrings. Your sons and your daughters are wearing those earrings. Let's go ahead and put them all in a big pile and I'm going I'm to I'm melt those down. We're going to smelt them. We're going we're gonna to make us something. And, and uh, whoa, <laughs> Moses, I don't know what happened. We just threw all this stuff together and a calf came out of the fire. <laughs> <laughs> Moses didn't buy that, did he? <laughs> You don't, make a, you don't make an idol by just throwing stuff down and all of a sudden, poof. I don't know how that happened. Devil must have done it. No, there was some painstaking effort. 
and some imagination and some working. And he took the engraving tool and began to make that idol. And now he set it over there. And all of a sudden, as he made that idol, and he, as from his own imagination, he began to define God. God never said he was going to set upon a calf. He said he was going to set in the hearts of man. But now he, he's there and he's made this molten image. And, and now what are we going to do next? Well, we're going to tomorrow, we're going to get up and we're going to start making sacrifice to this idol. We're going to make sacrifice to this idol and we're going to declare a holy day and we're going to worship God. They rose and they danced and they played and they sacrificed. How can you know the God that you serve? Wednesday night, if you missed it, you need to get the tape. You need to listen to it. Let me tell you what the Lord showed us Wednesday night. You can know a worshiper by their expressions of worship. And praise is an expression of worship. Sacrifice is an expression of worship. And if you want to say or try to tell the Lord that you're a worshiper, you can know the worshipers by their expressions. And if you're sacrificing all of your time, all of your talent, all of your treasure to anything other than the mainstay of God being the foremost of your life, then let me ask you this question. Are you living in idolatry? Because they made the molten image and then they began to worship it. They began to sacrifice to it. All of their time, treasure, and talent went toward the making of that. So that they could continue in that place. Why? Because it gave them some measure of comfort in some measure of control that they had. Let me say to you from experience... Not a lot of experience, but some experience. Your bank account will never get big enough to give you security. It's not going to happen. You can't be... Andrew and I were talking about this the other day. The, the unrenewable resource. Time, talent, and treasure. We always we preach and teach that time is an unrenewable resource in this life. Amen. We all get the same 24 hours in the day. You all get the same. We all have 365 days of the year. We get an extra leap year, but anyway. You know, you can't, you can't draw those. Time is just time. We have an allotted time, and we're here and we're gone. But you know what? Our talents begin to fade over time as well. We, as Andrew declared in life class this morning, when I'm 70, I can't, uh, I can't, hadn't got there yet, though I've been accused of it. <laughs> Somebody asked me this week, they're about 20, 25 years older than me, they asked me, are you retired? I said, no, I'm just tired. <laughs> I didn't, but I was, th- anyway, I just look at <laughs> But you know what? You can't do what you did 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Mine is not as sharp as it was. Your talents are not as honed as they were. You may not be at your peak. You may be on the other side. But you know, folks, as we look at all of that, what we find out is God does not change. He's always the same. And there's a resource of energy and strength and power and might that comes from Him. My encouragement to you today is this. Let's not settle for second best. Let's not define God outside of His Word. Let's let the Spirit reveal 
the Son to us and the Father to us every day as we ascend the mountain to discover who God is. Amen? They began to sacrifice and began to make sacrifice to that idol. And they started trusting in those sacrifices. And we see that through Israel's history. We find out that they, are, they were prone to idolatry. Even from the beginning, before they ever received the commands of God, before God ever brought that second commandment to say, make no graven images, they were already doing it because it was their nature. And then they were given over and over and over again to idol worship. Folks, there is a day that God is bringing us into. It's a day of glory. It's a day of grace. It's a day of might. It's a day where our young people are going to discover the reality of the truth of who God is. There's going to be freedom in the house of the Lord. There's going to be freedom in our lives. But as we continue forward, let's not make idols and try to redefine God and make sacrifices and trust in those sacrifices. Let's trust in His sacrifice.